well, I guess I'm going to go sit down and write for the next five hours to this, or I guess I'm going to go destroy an entire notebook over this or type until, you know, my hands are sore, things like that. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champagne Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champagne Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers podcast network. Welcome to Champagne is also a band podcast. Today I'm going to be talking with AMS, the Nerd King. Today we're going to be talking about his song Sisyphus off of the Over Under EP, which was just recently released in June of 2020. June, okay, June. I knew it was it was recent, but not. I don't know. All the days today are just. <laughs> I I don't remember what feels like a week was really just two days ago, and then what was mm-hmm. a month was you know. A year ago. It is approximately the 463rd <laughs> of May. Yeah, I, I get it. I really do. You may also know AMS from a group that he was part of called the Boom Bap Savant. And then yeah. uh, also as a member of a, a crew, the Future Cult Leaders of America, also known yep. as the FCLA. AMS, yes, indeed. welcome so much to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Sven. It's a pleasure to be here. So, I guess, as I always like to say, without further ado, let's listen to the song. Awesome. All right. Um, goes like this. Man versus hill. Boulder and toe, slow on the go, goes as it will. Hold and repose, bungee jump without the thrill. Every unholy ghost summon when the cup gets filled. Who would dare to stick around to find what might spill? Sweetest come up in the strangest jagged little pill. Let's not keep secrets, love. Kiss and show our shadows. Clear the table for the next course. Make some room for the elbow. Strange hobbies got a foothold in artistry. Throw it up, choke it down, sin wholeheartedly. Take a couple tails for the lift back home. Headbang yourself sane, we'll provide the metronome. Downhill we go, love. Tilted windmills, curse the sun, turn water into whiskey, raise the dead when the deed is done. Every push is a chance to test your metal until you catch another valley past the peak where the boulder settles. Sisyphus, my friend, my friend. What an untimely, what an untimely end. end. Now are you a maker or a martyr? Even the penitent arsonist is still a fire starter. Work harder, fam. Like serious. Talk, talk, talk. Talking all that bullshit. Just and all you gotta do, do just rap. Talk, 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 talking all that bullshit. Um, artist versus self. A hell of never budges, letting other folks touch it, then counting the smudges. Watch me catch fire in a dim lit room, down to cinders. Sweep 
the ashes once consumed No room for hearsay, let the heresy reign A million pretty twitches, mark the switches, flip for pain I'm down to tell my tales, I'd rather tell you nothing Hush wins against the gumption, trust your worst assumptions He's unctuous, a close range blunderbuss A million miles of bad luck, a tree you don't dare bark up A wall's made of sand, on the sea don't last He cast them out the pearly whites, that spell gets cast Make a moment last while the candle's lit Warm dabs distract from the blood soaking through the paper cut bandages Sisyphus, my friend, that feeling when it ends and you start over again Show us your braggadocio, make sure to tuck your pride Save yourself doubt for when it's dark outside Just fucking rap, dude If you can't walk the walk, don't talk the talk Talking all that bullshit If you can't walk the walk, don't talk the talk Talking all that bullshit Talking all that bull Welcome back. So, AMS, my first and favorite question, which is always kind of tricky because when you have a producer, sometimes it's it's kind of obvious what came first, but maybe not, um, is I always like to ask, what came first, the music or the lyrics? The music. Sam I Am has been one of my favorite hard-to-find producers in Midwest hip-hop for a long time. He's from Michigan. Uh, specifically, I think right now he's residing between Detroit and L.A., I heard the instrumental in passing. It was on my own iPod. I, I make no bones about the fact that like I was just doing something around the house and it came on and I started muttering some like, you know, just exchange lines to myself, just simple little concepts and then said to myself, it's like, okay, I need to dry my hands off and I need to go right to this right now. Afterwards, I immediately launched into after a whole bunch of editing and everything, trying to get track of Sam I Am. The other producer on the album, Sev Severe, they've worked together in a lot of like beat scene releases. Uh, they've worked together on the same production compilations. So I reached out to Sev to ask, it's like, hey, do you have any contact information for Sam? Luckily enough, I managed to catch him over Instagram just randomly one day. He was online and I'm like, hey, so I have this writing exercise I did to one of your instrumentals and I recorded a real rough of it. Do you want to hear it? He's like, yeah, sure. I send it along to him and he's like, send it, just do it. Just fucking do it. Fucking put it out. And I'm like, I'm not going to put it out yet. Cause I feel really weird about reaching out to producers over Instagram. Cause that's some, that's some rapper shit, not some musician shit, <laughs> but being in that mode of being like, Oh God, I really want to rap over this. I effectively was just like, okay, well let's, let's, let's just see what happens here and what it turns out to be. Got it recorded, got it set down, and passed it back to him. He's like, full send, let's make it happen. And then suddenly, a couple of months later, we were thinking about what color to make the vinyl for it. And that's a dream since I was 14 years old. You know, you're scratching and scraping around notebooks for years, talking about, you know, well, wouldn't this be nice if it happened? And then mm -hmm. it happens. Of course, it gets a little more complicated than that, but just from the miracle happening on the outside and just looking in, it's it's a whole bunch of euphoria behind being like, 
wow, I can make odd Grecian myth references and make a rap tune. This is great. Now that you brought up the Greek myth of, you know, Sisyphus, for some of our listeners, you know, if you're not familiar with the story of Sisyphus, it was a a man that was punished. His punishment for the rest of eternity was to just push a boulder up a hill and no matter how far he pushed it, just kept going and then the next morning it would he'd have to start back at the bottom once again. This wasn't just the only metaphor or literary references that you threw in there. Honestly, some of your lyrics I I thought feel like he's referencing something, but I don't know what it is. It just feels like a reference. <laughs> I'm curious, though, was Sisyphus something kind of always in your mind that you wanted to reference, or uh, did this just kind of come about, like, you, you came across it and you're like, oh, yes, got to do that? My grandfather was a big proponent uh, upon, you know, old and classic literature, My grand and my father has a degree in it. And so I was always around Grecian myth and weirdly translated Latin phrases just in just in passing. And uh, Sisyphus was one of like, I remember my grandfather telling me some of the stories about the folks who Hades hung out with, who he had to sort of be a supervisor for. You know, there were other such punishments inside those fables. I forget the name of the gentleman who was condemned to be submerged in a lake. The water was at his neck. And if he looked up, there was a pear right above his head and he was starving. So he would reach up to try and get the pear and the pear would pull away or he'd reach down to look at the water and the water would rise. And so he had to look straight ahead for the rest of his days. But I seem to remember that story being woven in and or sort of part and parcel of the story about Sisyphus and something being Sisyphean by itself is that idea exactly that you mentioned. It's a task that must be repeated ad infinitum, unto eternity. And it seems to be sort of a cyclical process that no matter what you do about it, you revisit it. And over and over again, I love that adjective, that description, just the almost defeatist nature of it. And it feels like making art to me because mm. to a great extent, no matter how far I push that boulder uphill, someone is going to be, someone in the background is going to be like, Hey, you're pushing a rock. Tell me about that rock. And so you look over to tell them about the rock and the rock rolls right back downhill. <laughs> Additionally, you know, if you want uh -huh. to take it outside of the metaphor, no matter how much I write, no matter how much I seek to express myself, there is always a better way to do so. There is always a line I look at to say that's like, oh, I could have cut a helping verb out of that or, oh, that breath control is really weird on that. So as much as I think I've pushed that boulder up the hill and I've found the apex of the idea that I'm looking to achieve, huh. there was always another valley past the peak where the boulder settles. It's a line I reference in the song, but it's always the idea that no matter what I do, I'm going to do it again. For as long as I find myself mm -hmm. able to, I'm going to willingly set myself to doing it again or unwillingly to that matter because I will hear something like I heard with this instrumental and just be like, well, I guess I'm going to go sit down and write for the next five hours to this, or I guess I'm going to go destroy an entire notebook over this or type until, you know, my hands are sore, things like that. And that's where a lot of that relationship has come from. And I tried to bring that forth in the song, but more so layering it in the idea of sometimes rap is a tiring thing, especially with respect to how rap and at a larger view, how black created art, which is the root of American culture, as, as so often as it's touted, is ended up created, uh, what the reception of it is, and at a very fatalistic angle, how often it is viewed as disposable. 
no matter how far up the hill we roll that boulder, we're right back where we started. And that was a lot behind it. I sometimes have trouble as a white male saying, this is what I've observed. I don't know. It's always so white culture to like steal something (laughs) of another culture and be like, look what I came up with. But I I also was thinking anything that black culture creates is that stone you're pushing up the hill. And in some ways, the only difference would be that the stone would be taken away by the white people and they'd be like, look at this great stone we have. And then they'd be like, oh yeah, there's there's another stone you can start pushing up at the bottom of the hill you know go ahead and take that yeah so i had a feeling that this is very much about being black and being black in america especially it's it's about it's about being black and making art it's just about making art overall you know there's there's a lot of parallels in between the two but those parallels never find a perfect match at an infinite angle than with black artists, I feel, attempting to make themselves known within art forms that they have fostered or created or that their forebearers did. You have two verses and then two hooks uh, with each of the verses, and you have the two sections, and as you've been explaining, that this is also about artistry and creating and, and kind of your own challenge against yourself. The first verse, you preface each of those verses with, exactly what you're going to be talking about, like man versus hill. And then you've got artist versus self. Mm -hmm. That first verse is the broader version of humankind, whatever struggle to be something, to generate something and try to, in some ways, avoid being Sisyphean, but also realizing that you just can't get away from it. Yeah, it's one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of things. Everybody's got their own boulder to push. I'm kind of curious about one line that that kind of jumped out at me and strange hobbies got a foothold on artistry. What was the inspiration behind that line? I'm going to bleed it with a couple lines before it just so I can give you the so I can give you the full picture. So let's see. Let's not keep secrets, love. Kiss and show our shadows. Clear the table for the next course. Make some room for the elbows. Pardon me. Strange hobbies got their foothold in artistry. Throw it up. Choke it down. Sin wholeheartedly. Take a couple tales for your lift back home, headbang yourself saying we'll provide the metronome. So the idea is, is that Strange Hobbies got their foothold in artistry. Every artist, no matter how even keeled or simple they seem, are very strange people because they choose to either be strange or they choose to engage in a degree of strangeness that inspires their art. Strange Hobbies, for me, got their foothold in artistry is because, like, I, up until the age of 15 years old, was a diehard metalhead. I was very much into post-punk, post-hardcore, and hip-hop sort of, to me, was this thing where, based off of things that happened in my childhood or a set of black parents viewing their kids engaging with hip-hop but viewing it through a lens of the scrutiny that the world places upon it, My parents sort of tried to said it's like, yeah, that's there, but they steered me back toward jazz and Motown and funk and soul. And my dad being toward classic and psychedelic rock because, well, that's what they grew up on and that's what they listened to. But in the background, here were my cousins, one of my cousins in Zulu Nation, the world's biggest hip hop crew. Another one of my cousins being responsible for me becoming a metalhead, the person that passed me the Metallica mixtapes when we were in the backseat riding along on family vacations. 
And then later on, at 15 years old, another set of cousins who were each involved in one of what, what are considered like the four elements of hip hop. So one of my closest cousins was a graph artist and a break dancer. He did graffiti and he used to break. And we started rapping together. And then another one of my cousins who would be over there every Sunday like clockwork with a wallet of CDs that must have been about mm, yay thick would show up and he would play us albums. And none of them really found me until one day he played what a lot of hip hop heads my age sort of consider to be like a Bible or a religious tome of an album, which is Raucous Records Sound Bombing 2. And we were sitting there playing fighting games, you know, basically biding our time during a Sunday. And then Company Flow, their song on that compilation called Patriotism came on. And Company Flow caught me in such a way because they were rapping, they were on beat, but they were cramming so much into their sentences. And I, being in this weird position of being like, uh, having been all my life, like, high honors, curve record, all this other business. As a kid, I had a little bit of a stutter. And so I would always be trying to explain things quickly and I would cram so many words into one sentence. And yet I hear, I hear somebody being able to make rhymes out of that. And I'm like, that's weird. How, how did they do that? And my cousin who, the older cousin who brought the CDs, who saw me keying in on this was like, uh-huh. And then he played me a little bit more and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. Before I knew it, I was calling him to, and uh, again, home taping is destroying the music industry, and it's wonderful. Uh, I was calling him to make burn CDs of these albums for me. And so there's the first strange habit, is that a kid without money of his own is still somehow acquiring hip-hop albums to listen to and to start to develop this understanding. Further strange habits, the rappers that I knew as a teenager, other, other teenagers who were rapping, weren't in the same, I guess, like circles I was, because on the weekends, I was at National Honor Society, Scholastic Bowl meets, things like that. And they were off like going to hip hop events in the city. They were going to footwork battles in the city. They were going to breaking battles in the city. But what I said was, because of one of my AP English teachers who really helped me sort of become confident with this voice that I had, and the fact that it was going to change so much said, if you are not of that, take what you are of and make your and make your voice from that. And so the strange hobbies were like, well, I'm going to start putting all this knowledge I have of AP physics and chemistry into my punchlines. In addition to trying to cram all these words into a sentence and make it work. Now you start getting this idea that, well, I'm researching this new thing and I'm coming around to loving it for the same reason I found myself loving other kinds of music. But I have this other weird shit that I'm jamming into it that doesn't quite fit. So I'm going to make that strange habit a set of artistry. And as much as hip hop talks about find yourself, find your originality, hold on to it, be proud of it. I was a nerd and there's no power in being a nerd. Being a nerd is strange, but nerd and artistry and that strangeness had to, I guess, sort of be conjoined in order for this to work. And... Amongst all those writing principles and all this anecdoting and all this roundabout talk, the idea was, was that a lot of my professors who were in creative writing and a lot of the creative writing workshops I was going to were saying that it's like, you are not coming from a place of weakness. You are coming from a place of strength, but you don't know what that strength is yet. And then it was the idea is like, you know, not just being a nerd, what if being a nerd had power? 
And thus the strange part of the nerd king came in. So all of these strangenesses contributed to that artistry. But then there's the other half of the line is that you have to be ugly about it. Throw it up, choke it down, sin wholeheartedly. No matter what the mistakes are, you have to accept them and make them into something either powerful or see that they're destructive unto your art and shed them. And that's where a lot of that came from. And I, I hope, I, I hope that all like sort of boxes itself well, but yeah, that's where, a, that's where a lot of that imagery came from. Well, it's funny that you say that it boxes itself when I was just like, that's a lot to unpack. So, I mean, it's just, <laughs> I kind of wonder, there's a few references that are, are very uh, almost maybe not biblical, but also along the Judeo-Christian tradition. Yeah. And there's even sin wholeheartedly. I think it was Martin Luther that said, you know, sin boldly. And I thought, I, I was like, oh, my maybe man. that's it. My man, yeah. <laughs> Spot on. Was that, is that what, where that... Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And then turn water into whiskey, you know, very much like the Jesus parable. Was that something that was mixed in with some of your upbringing or was that something that you was a big part of your life that's why these influences are coming or are you just drawing from all literary traditions it's a little bit of both actually you reference turn water into whiskey raise the dead when the deed is done there's a line before that that says tilted windmills yeah so there's there's your don quixote reference with respect to the religious references i was raised in the roman catholic church i'm gonna let this view show because i'm proud of who i am after all of it Religion makes monsters of people, I personally believe, sometimes. I was deep in the Roman Catholic Church. My dad was an altar boy when Latin masses were still going on. I was not, but I was sort of surrounded by it. Two very religious grandparents, mildly spiritual parents, but not religious. I was deep into the Boy Scouts of America, which has gigantic religious overtones. I was a fixture at my parish, which of course is religion itself. And I went to an all-boys Catholic high school from 1998 to 2002 when I graduated. And then summarily at the age of 18, I lost God. It's a personal decision. I find, you know, nothing inherently bad about religion. I take qualms with the way people use it to justify their actions, their principles, and things of that nature. I definitely find myself these days as one of those good without God sort of people. But that doesn't mean that the references do not make it into my music, especially as of late. I'm a little bit less afraid to acknowledge the fact that, yeah, at at 18 years old, you know, I was like, well, does this work? And then by the time I was 20, I was like, no, it doesn't. And, you know, it wasn't anything where I like disavowed my backgrounds or didn't say prayers at family dinners or anything like that. It's just that I just looked up one day and I said, this no longer meshes with my ability to become a better ally, a better person, a more empathetic person, because I was sort of looking around and witnessing what religion was doing otherwise to what could be decent people. But regardless of that, as much as we don't think of it as it, nonetheless, the Bible could be considered a literary work. So therefore, I toss references in where I find themselves appropriate. I'm not necessarily going to be One of those folks that starts shouting down people about us like, oh, this is primitive, blah, 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 whatever. But at the same time, I'm definitely going to be like, you know, there's going to be some off kilter saint references in there. If I could turn water into whiskey, I'd put the power away, you know, but Mm. (laughs) yeah, but yeah, I I feel like I could just ask a little question and like there's so much to it. And and I, I spent a lot of time just listening to this and, you know, making notes and 
There's so much, but I'm going to say what my favorite line out of this is. So this is from the, the first hook, which is the, when an untimely end. And it's like, now you are a maker or a mar- martyr. Even a penitent arsonist is still a fire starter. Yeah. Not to be going back to the Bible, but I just, I kept thinking <laughs> about like, a dog will return to its vomit was kind of the, the thought. Yeah. You had me thinking all about like these biblical and, you know, church references as well as like literary references. It's interesting, the whole maker or a martyr thing. There's some people where it's like, I am creating things, I'm making beautiful things. And that seems to be one person's path. But then there's also the person that's like, I am suffering for my art and this is tearing me apart. And and I mean, I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I do feel those two paths always kind of diverging uh, for different people. And so the question is for you, are you a maker or a martyr? Um, hmm. I would probably say that I'm probably the maker more so than the martyr. One of my favorite, and this is part of where this came from more references for you. This is part of where it's came from. Uh, one of my favorite rock songs to this day is from a band called cursive they made a cut called art is hard the the hook says it's like because we all know art is hard when we don't know who we are i've been in front rows of them playing screaming that line because the idea is is like you know people talking about it's like i'm suffering for my art blah 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 within certain reasons yes it deserves a sense of empathy because sometimes art is the last thing that people have before you know the walls come crushing in but for people that i see especially with respect to certain facets or even certain artists in hip hop where they're just like, you know, they try to paint themselves as a martyr for their art. You know, it's like, I'm hurting, I'm suffering, but I got to get this out. It's like, pardon my language. Fuck you. Everybody's hurting or suffering for the sake of their art in some aspect. Some people are writing to get their demons onto paper as a better means by which to exercise them. That's the type of maker that I am. Hmm. I am literally looking to take things that I've seen, things that I've felt, things that I have done and try to express them in as abstract and poetic and prose laden or as, you know, if it waddles and it quacks, it's a fucking duck sort of senses that I possibly can. If I make something and nobody hears it, I've still made it. It's still formed as some degree of therapy for me in order to be able to get that out. But if I make it and I whine and I cry and I et cetera and I et cetera about it, that doesn't necessarily mean that anybody's going to necessarily see it. Someone may not necessarily still be able to intake this art, but nonetheless, I've made it. Sometimes there has to be this satisfaction with the idea that it's like, I have made something that maybe does not cement my permanence, but nonetheless allows me some degree of looking at and being like, I made this in order to fulfill fill in the blank purpose here. I feel more so to be the maker than the martyr itself. Mm. Sometimes it sucks. Sometimes, most times it doesn't. And on the in-between, I still get to make rap music. So... It's fun to me. What is your favorite line from this piece? Uh, the four first lines of the second verse. Artist versus self, a hellish sea-speaking spell of dreams on a shelf. Take it down to show it off. Hope the luster never budges, letting other folks touch it, then counting the smudges. Is my favorite, favorite, favorite shit in the world. I don't get gassed, uh, like hyped on my own lines terribly often. But let's take it back to that previous metaphor. It's like, I've made something. Look at what I've made. And then you take it down to show it to other people. And they put their hands all over it, sometimes unjustified, sometimes justified. And they hand it back to you. It's like, thanks for showing me this. And you take it and you hold it. And you're like, I got the grubby fingerprints all over it. 
But yes. the same thing about those grubby fingerprints is that each of them mm-hmm. is an interpretation of the song. Each of them is a different meaning for somebody else. So letting other folks touch it, then counting the smudges is both good and bad. It weaves in and out of itself, even on just more of like a, on more of a functional or abstract level where it's like form, like formal level. Yeah. If this were in a foreign language, it would still kind of pull in the ear. You can say clever things, but you can also say things clever. So, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I feel no, like that's, that's real. I think that's a very important like aspect of what makes a really good, just a piece in general. I had a hard time actually narrowing it down to just one thing, so I'm just going to say like... Please do. My other favorite, I'm down to tell my tales, I'd rather tell you nothing. Hush wins against the gumption, trust your worst assumptions. And then, he's unctuous, a close-range blunderbuss. And I think that's just because you used the word blunderbuss. I mean, my goodness. (laughs) Um, And then, um, a million miles of bad luck, a tree you don't, uh, don't dare bark up. And some of it, I'm like, I'm not sure I even fully understand it, but I also like the idea of trust your worst assumptions because I feel like, (laughs) you know, if we're still using that, I keep thinking that you give each of these verses that header of, this is the thing that is talking about an artist versus self. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. anything that I do, anything that I produce, and sorry if I'm making it my own. No, this is is a point of relation. I'm sorry to be adding smudges to this, but... um, Any kind of like criticism or or the way that people interpret things, it does. It. I mean, we're going well, back to the smudges too, but yeah. I mean, like that that dichotomy. Like first and foremost, I'm absolutely chuffed to bits that you're like that you've read this far into this. Like I'm I'm absolutely humbled, Sven. Thank you so much. Oh, uh, I I I yeah. Um. Uh. Okay. So what was I going to do before blushing furiously? Oh yeah. So. I'm down to tell my tales. I'd rather tell you nothing. That's literally the one side, one of the each sides of the coin of that artist puzzle. I'm down to tell my tales. The artist. I'd rather tell you nothing. The self. You know, uh-huh. like I, I effectively approach it from this idea, and I'm going to relate this and explain this a little bit. I'm down to tell my tales. I'd rather tell you nothing. Hush wins against the gumption. Trust your worst assumptions. Hush mm. wins against the gumption. Trust your worst assumptions. Is the idea that I am a Six foot five black man with four college degrees. But when you look at me, what you see is six foot five black man. You don't care. Like you may hear it's like, oh, well, here's six foot five black man. Also artist. Oh, tell us your tales. Mm. No. Right. And that pretty much. And a lot of that ends the discussion. In a lot of cases, it's the it's the social faux pas around rappers of being like, oh, you rap. Will you rap something for us? I'm like. I'm not a fucking jukebox. Go the fuck away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you start out with it, you want people to notice you. I'm down to tell my tales. So that becomes the preface and the leading line for a lot of your interactions is that you want people to get the chance to know you so they can start appreciating your art. And people will look at a surface implication of that being like, well, black people make rap music. Yeah. So trust your worst assumptions. You look at a six foot five black man, you ask, it's like, oh, you're tall. Do you insert this tall thing that black people do, you know, fill in the Mad Lib, etc. So a lot of it becomes this idea that there's this tiredness around it, but nonetheless, you want people to know about it. And it changed a lot of the way that I interact with people who interact with my music. Uh, I'm also an extrovert. I'm also, I also try to be absurdly polite because I like my life overall. 
So it's never a matter of like sending somebody away, but it is a matter of a not short fuse, but a shorter than expected fuse where certain phrases, certain things, you know, is like certain things make me into, I, you know, a bit curmudgeonly. He's unctuous, a close range blunderbuss. Because literally what I effectively tell people is like, you know, I was like, oh, you rap. Can you? And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no, no. I don't want to be part of this conversation any longer because you immediately viewed me as needing to contribute to the exchange in order for you to see me as having viable ideas, even for a passing conversation. Mm. So, you know, forgive me for making this assumption. And occasionally what I will do is I'll ask somebody is like, you know, it's like, if you want to hear me rap. You know, like I got merch at this table or like you can visit the website in this business card and, you know, go support, like go support nine times out of 10. The support is, is like download this free album made by this rapper with an IT day job, not anything of, you know, terrible indication or otherwise, but sometimes it's a matter of, you know, somebody being like, well, you know, it's like you, you do it for a living anyway. It's just like, yeah, I, I don't rap for a living. I I rap for fun. This isn't terribly much fun as far as interactions go. This is few and far in between as far as like fans that I met at shows or folks like that. But this is part of that Sisyphean task is the fact that as you're rolling the boulder uphill, people are like, oh, tell us about this boulder. It's like, fuck off. I have to roll this boulder up this hill. You know, right. it's like, oh, well, what's the rock made of? It's like, I don't know. It's igneous. Please leave me alone. You know, or something like that. And that's where like that's where a lot of that comes from. A million miles of bad luck, a tree you don't dare bark up. Few and far between, I've had people at shows be like, well, he's a little bit weird and he's kind of an asshole. And then, you know, having to explain to an entire group of people, it's like, this person asked me to step outside and freestyle onto their phone after I had just performed an hour and 15 minutes set and was sweating through my second black t-shirt. There's the, There's a little bit behind this and that's the reason why I was a little bit, you know, a little bit pricklier than not. But yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's a little bit of the impetus behind the line itself. Even in the midst of the current coronavirus pandemic, the Jubilee Cafe is continuing to serve packaged home-cooked meals free to all every Monday evening, 5 to 6.30 p.m. Meals are available for pickup outside the 6th Street door to the Community United Church of Christ in Champaign, Illinois, 805 South 6th Street. Jubilee Cafe's mission remains the same. Feed hungry people by cooking healthy and delicious meals. We are open to anyone who cares to receive a meal. For information on the meal or how to volunteer, Go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email us at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. Welcome back. I was wondering, at what point did you take on the moniker of the Nerd King? <laughs> uh, so I am a nerd. Hear me roar. It is something that I've been called since I was about four years old uh, via either bullies or, you know, cousins just messing around or things like that. But it was the immediate way to sort of pierce my self-esteem as minimal as it was for a very, very long time. 
I make no bones about the fact that I've dealt with depression and self-esteem issues my entire life. But being a nerd was one of those things where I'm just like, how could being a nerd be a good thing when it's brought me so much misery? A very long, long time ago when I was 13, 14 years old, I started getting interested in rapping, like like learning how to rap when I was about, you know, 15, 15 and a half, 16. But at 14 years old, I was still heavily in Boy Scouts of America trying to gun for my Eagle Scout badge, which I eventually got. We went to a camp every year up in Michigan called Camp Owasipi. I was part of one of the few all-black Boy Scout troops in the city of Chicago, Troop 778. When we got up there, of course, there was all this scrutiny and otherwise about a group of black kids being in Boy Scouting or things like that. Our scoutmasters, you know, the folks we had, you know, in charge did their best to help us let that wash off our backs. But a lot of the kids that were there were just slightly older than me. And video gaming is something that's been near and dear to my heart for such a long time. But my first nerdiness with respect to, you know, being in on a hobby or knowing like in depth shit about a hobby was with respect to video gaming. At some point I was passing by a conversation as folks were setting up a campfire for the day and somebody was asking, you know, it's like, was like, I think I remember the question as it's like, what Capcom or what Mega Man game was it that had this boss? And I'm like, are Specifically, remember, he's like that had the yellow devil as a boss. And I'm like, there were two. There was Mega Man 1 and Mega Man 3. And they sort of turned around and they looked at me. They're like, all right. Um, and they just started like, because they had a magazine with them and they cover up answers in the magazine and ask me little questions because I was reading everything about like import games and shit like that and stuff that was getting ready to come out. I was buying import, like I was making my parents, correction, I was making my parents buy import game mags and knowing I couldn't read a lick of Japanese, but they started asking me like weird off kilter questions about video games and I'd be able to call them out and answer them. One of the kids who was sort of one of my bullies in Boy Scouting was like, why are you letting most up here be a nerd? And one of the other kids replied is like, he ain't just a nerd, man. He might be the nerd king. You know, I was sort of hesitant to take that on. Cause again, I was like, I'm tired of being a nerd mm -hmm. to people. I'm really tired of being a nerd. And throughout high school, I'm like, I'm tired of being a nerd to people. Like, why do I have to keep being a nerd to people? And then in college, when I started doing battle rap a little bit more and people started calling me a nerd, but I was tearing them apart. You know, I'm just like, okay, all right, maybe there's something to this. And again, that one English professor from high school, her voice hopped in my head. Uh, shout outs to Miss Mary Stamler, wherever you are. Thank you so much. Miss Stamler, I remember her sort of rapping on the desk with her knuckles over and over again. This tiny woman from Hyde Park being like, that voice is important. There is power in all of it. I just remember her saying, it's like, there's power in all of it. You know, I remember asking, it's like, even if the hero is demeaned, she's like, especially if the hero is demeaned. And I'm not looking at myself as a hero or anything, but at the same time, I was just like, all right, cool. Maybe the nerd king works. Maybe the nerd king works. And then one day somebody called me a nerd in a battle. And I was just like, this is like, you know, this is like, you're the buzzing of flies to the nerd king. And from there, I'm just like, all right, well, I guess this is it. I never figured it into like my full quote unquote artist performer name for a long time because I was tired of people messing up what my original name was, which was Agent Moss. People kept pronouncing it as Agent Moss, M-O-S as Moss, as opposed to Moss. 
And weirdly enough, it was folks in Champaign, specifically some folks at WPGU who were to interview me before I worked there that kept mispronouncing it as Agent Moss. And I'll be like, it's Agent Moss, please. Thank you. And then the last time I got tired of it, and basically what I did was I had stylized how Agent Moss was spelled, and I just took the capitals out of it, the A, the M, and the S, and I just shortened it down. And then eventually the Nerd King just got strapped on because that's what like Chicago hip hop knew me as AMS the Nerd King, you know, or here comes the Nerd King, all hail the one true Nerd King, etc. So yeah, man, it was it was a point of detriment, then it was a point of tepid acceptance, and then it was just like, yeah, that's my name. Especially as somebody who spins words and makes them have meaning and depth and and there's certain reasons like back in if you want to say ancient times where it's like you would cast a spell using words and it's like words have power and to be able to command them back there are old civilizational superstitions about saying the word bear because they were viewed as monsters and so like you would not say the name of this creature lest you summon it Yeah, that's weird literary notes again, just weird shit I remember. That's wild, but if you think about this big 900-pound thing with claws and paws the size of a baby's head coming bounding out of the forest to fuck you up, yeah, you would try not to say his name. COVID-19 got you down? You looking for some music? Some video games? Well, Exile Main Street still has all the things you need. New and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile Main Street still has something for any music enthusiast and old-school gaming devotee. Exile Main Street is taking orders, making deliveries, and pickups by appointment. They can find just about any music or video game you need. Check out their website, ExileMainStreet.com, for links to their Discogs page for new additions. You can also contact them via Facebook Messenger to see what they can find for you. They can also be reached on Instagram, Twitter, email, or phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. AMS. What is your favorite non-musical thing? Oh, man. Better than I can tell you, I can show you. Would you like for me to show you? On, on a podcast? Does that work? Uh, well, <laughs> I, can, I can show you and then I can explain it. But it's yeah, a, lot, a lot of it is in your reaction. Oh, okay. So, are you ready? Yeah, yeah. I build mechanical keyboards. Shut up. Really? This is one of my favorite things in the world. It's one of them, like, here, hang on. When when I say Nerd King, I mean Nerd King, dog. This is one of my favorite things to do in the world. Oh, my this God. This is one of my favorite things to do in the world. I'm a person that likes detailed hobbies. DJing is one of my favorite things in the world because you can set a mood in a room and it allows me to engage with some of my favorite music in the world. Fighting games are some of my favorite things in the world, too, because it's that idea of I'm just a little bit better than you. And, you know, there are nuances. There's styles of playing fighting games from region to region, state to state, country to country. But when I want to be when I want to have introvert hangouts and I feel like doing something tactile, this is my shit because I can literally be like, OK, you know, I can customize it from top to bottom. How quiet do I want it to be? How loud do I want it to be? What color is it? What does it do? What does it look like? Does it light up? You know, shit like that. 
you know, what I'll occasionally do when I find myself with a little bit of money and I'm not, you know, like repairing laptops or some shit, I'm like, oh, what kits are out on the market? Oh, okay, cool. This one's not too far away. Let's go ahead and order the kit. And then I get a surprise in the mail and I get a chance to sit down by myself, put some jazz on and solder quietly for, you know, three, maybe four hours. And at the end, I get something that is useful and functional. And when you show it to people, they're like, that's nerdy, but it's really cool. That's my shit. That's absolutely my shit. It's such a weird hobby that it has a really devoted community around the world. There are people who make these and or put together what are called group buys for them. They're just like, hey, I have an idea for a keyboard. They toss it out there. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'd invest in that. And then, you know, there are companies and design firms that put them together. Then there are folks that do stuff like this. Artisan makers, people that make customized, cool little keys and things like that. Yeah, man, it gets deep, but it's a lot of fun. And a guy that I used to work with at my old company got me into it in a 20 minute discussion because my keyboard was crap and I was tired of like mispresses and things like that. And I'm just like, man, I need a new keyboard. And he's like, stop by my desk. I got one for you. Huh. And he hands me a mechanical keyboard and I'm like, and the next morning I come down, I'm like, this is good. Give me more. And it's like, well, okay, so here's how you get involved, blah, blah, blah. And then other folks at work were like, oh, I'm in on this community. Here's the thing, blah. And, you know, you learn a little bit more every time you do it. And then before you know it, I'm just like, all right, well, Sunday is going to be for soldering because I'm expecting a kit to show up. The switches just got here. The keys just got here. My stabilizers just got here. I'm still waiting on the foam, but I can put that in a little bit later. And then I get something cool that I can show off at work or something that's slightly difficult to use. Uh, my keyboard that's back there at my work desk is even weirder than this one. Do you want to see it? Sure, why not? That sounds right, hang great. On. Hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> yeah, although I know that dead air is not usually a good thing, but you have to listen in the background to what he's doing because it's just it just shows you how much he just loves these keyboards that he makes. <laughs> All right. Here comes a really cool one. Oh my gosh. Wait, what is, what is all along the top there? It's called through-hole soldering. Each diode is soldered. Oh my god. This took forever. And But there's no... There's no... Well, you really have to know where everything's at, don't you? Oh my yep. gosh. I blind, blind typing extraordinaire. This is one of my favorite things to do when, you know, not musically speaking, I suppose. You know, for me, that would probably be... Uh, I live out in the country, so I, I have mowing to do, and so I just sit mm -hmm. on the riding lawnmower for about four hours, and you have to kind of plan, but it's also kind of just this, you know, you know what you've got to do, and you just kind of perform those tasks, and mm -hmm. in the end, you're like, oh, look, it's so nice and pretty, and... <laughs> yeah, you get something like, at the end, you get something like this that sounds... Oh. That quiet. Yeah, it's... It gets deep, man, but everybody's got their personal little level of Zen. This is some of my, this is some of my Zen. That's awesome. I love it. Well, this has been such a great conversation. I was so glad to hear your feature on Chase's, you know, EP and, and I thought I, I should just reach out and see if you would be able to do this. And it's such an amazing delight to meet someone and feel some kind of rapport in terms of our enjoyment of music and, and words. Thank you so much for being on the show 
and just taking the time today to talk to me about your song Sisyphus. Thank you so much. The conversation's been lovely, and thank you so much for the time, Sven, and thanks for featuring my music. Thank you again for listening to the Champagne is Also a Band podcast. This is the one true nerd sovereign, AMS the Nerd King, reminding you, great music is out there. Go find it where you live. Like, seriously, start looking. Now, fuckers, FCLA. Almost have an NPR voice, it's so good. AMS the Nerd King, the One True Nerd Sovereign, the X Factor, the Xbox, the Sheik of Geek, etc.